the we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. All hit radio. Welcome to the X Zone. A place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell, coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Crystal Beach, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to send me an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com on all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV. And to find out about the X-Zone uh, radio show, visit our website, www.exxonradiotv.com. And for the X-Zone TV channel that is exclusive to Simul TV. Visit www.simultv.com. You know, Exonation, I'm still trying to get over the guest we had before uh, this segment started. Uh, she's channeling John Lennon, Princess Diana, Mary Magdalene, Mother Mary, Jesus. My goodness. They could have one hell of a card game up there. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah, uh, explanation. My guest this hour is Oberon Zell, and he is the founding father of modern paganism, and in fact, the first to claim that labeled in 1967 and one of the most respected elders in the new movement of green religion that emerged in the latter half of the 20th century. Oberon is co-founder of the uh, First Pagan Church of All Worlds, incorporated in 1968. He founded the Vanguard Pagan Journal Green Egg and uh, served as its publisher for four decades. He's also written a number of books, and we're happy to have him here with us back in the X-Zone. So, Oberon, welcome back. Great having you with us. 
Thank you, Rob. I'm glad to be here. Uh, I, as I was saying, uh, just as as we started the segment, we had this lady on who uh, who channels all these people, and you know she writes books about what they say to her in these medium states, and of course, all the mediums agree that this is the real pre- people. And what is your take on mediumship and people who make these claims that you know they are channeling all these? significant people throughout history wow you know boy that's uh uh what can i say i i really have a lot of trouble giving a lot of credibility to that you know um it seems to me like a certain kind of grandstanding Uh, this sort of emerged in the um in, in the 19th century with a movement of spiritualism, it gave women a platform that they didn't have before. They could get up on stage, talk to large audiences, and claim to be speaking on behalf of ascended masters or, you know, significant people and stuff like that. But I really don't put a lot of credibility in it myself. But that's just me, you know. Well, I'm, I must tell you, my friend, that you're not alone in that belief. I <laughs> concur with you a hundred percent. And, uh, you know, it's it seems like they've got the stage and that you can't prove that they didn't channel these people. But when challenged, they cannot give any any collaboration except what other mediums say. Right. It's kind of a a little conspiracy of uh, some mutual support for each other. None of them are going to call each other out, you know. So there it is. You know, I, I've also got a theory when it comes to the UFO conspiracy, that it is the UFO ufologists and believers who created the conspiracy because as long as there is a conspiracy in place, you don't have to prove anything. The evidence doesn't exist because it's all a conspiracy to suppress the information. Exactly. It's a great scam, you know. It really oh, yeah. works well for people, so... <laughs> Um, that, you know, within their little circle, they can say whatever they want to say, but I don't feel any particular compulsion to give it any credence myself from the outside. You know, on, honesty hurts, apparently. And, you know, it's not that I'm a skeptic. I, I, I just want answers, just like you do. And, right. you know, you're a wizard. Uh, you, you're, you're responsible for, for, your, um, for what you believe in. And, uh, you know, belief is one thing. Proof is another. Like people say, Rob, why do you want to do your show if if you don't believe in everything? <laughs> well, it's because I want to believe, but show me the proof. Right, right. Well, I've kind of given up on the idea of belief. <laughs> I, 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 uh, I, I recall a story from the 19th century of uh, uh, a little girl who was asked to explain what faith was. And she said, faith is believing in things you know aren't true. And, you know, and I'm just not really big on beliefs. It just doesn't seem like the right way. I have opinions. I have knowledge. I have experience. I have lots of things. I don't really feel I have a lot of room or need for belief, per se, without any evidence or experience. And I've also noticed that for many people, belief trumps facts and information and evidence and everything else. They believe what they want to believe. And that's it. You know, they will believe lies more readily than they will believe truths, apparently. And, and I, I often wonder why, and when you ask a person, they don't know themselves. I know, I know. Yes, say, why do you believe that? Yeah. You know, they, they kind of go all weird about it. Although many of them will refer to some source that they consider to be uh, valid, like the Bible or something. Well, I believe it because it says so in the yeah. Bible, you know. And, 
But that kind of ends the discussion because they don't believe it based on any actual evidence. They believe it based on some authority that they put stock in. And that doesn't give anybody else any reason necessarily to put stock in their authority. We all have to have our own. Somebody asked me, what would it take you, Rob, to believe that aliens from other planets are real? I said, very simple. Show me the body. Yeah, I, I'd love to meet these yeah. guys. I really would. I, I mean, I have no, I'm, I'm totally all about, uh, you know, aliens. There must be out there somewhere, sure. I think. But I can't really believe in anything. I remember Mark Twain was once asked by some woman. He, she said, do you believe in baptism? And he said, believe in it. Why, madam, I've seen it done. <laughs> <laughs> seeing, it, seeing is believing, right? Yeah. There we go. I'll, if I see them done, I mean, I'm, I keep waiting for one of them to abduct me. I used to go out in the backyard when I was a kid at night with a flashlight and shine it up and say, hey, yeah. come and get me. Take me home. <laughs> I was a changeling, you know. I felt this wasn't where I was supposed to be. So, But they never did. They no never way. came down and got me. Um, what's it like to be a wizard in this modern world of ours? Well, that's an interesting thing. I mean... Wizards are supposed to know stuff. Wizards are the people that folks come to for advice. I mean, the word, the word means wise one, literally. And throughout history, there have been people, uh, wizards, wise ones, sages and mages and, and, and um, you know, magi and, and wizards throughout the, all of history. It's a continual thing. And the wizards, in fact, have written most of the books on fundamental subjects like um, astronomy and mathematics and all kinds of stuff. Famous figures like Leonardo da Vinci and Archimedes and Plato and and all that stuff. Not just, uh, you know, fantasy characters like, you know, uh, Dumbledore and, and Gandalf, but it's a really historical thing. In the modern times, um, being a wizard is like being a teacher, a professor, you know, you, you have the concept of the professor in many places, like in, in the army or, or uh, any kind of a scene. You'll have somebody that people call the professor because they know stuff. I came back to have a T-shirt that says, uh, I'm a wizard. I know stuff. Ask me anything. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the idea, really. And wizard's job primarily um, is really is mentoring the young, the mentoring the heroes, all of the wizard figures that we uh, that we think about, especially in stories like Obi-Wan Kenobi and Merlin and yes. Gandalf and all, a good part of what they're doing is sort of mentoring the young heroes, telling them what they need to know to go out and, and do their heroic quest, whatever that may be. And, and so as that's you, a part of it. And you mentioned Merlin, and he was mentoring King Arthur. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So when I regard Merlin as a, as a historic figure, kind of loosely uh, in the, as far as the stories are told, of course, but Arthur has his historical roots, and I think Merlin was no doubt a a druid of the court who advised him and counseled him. I don't see any reason why not. Uh, Queen Elizabeth I had John Dee as her counselor, her wizard of the court. Many wizards, in fact, have served as the advisors to courts. The first one we have actually really records on, in fact, was in ancient Egypt, Imhotep. The, the very same one that uh, the mummy stories are all based on. And he was the uh, court wizard for several pharaohs. And he wrote the very first books we have on on architecture and irrigation and mathematics and astronomy and all wow. kinds of stuff. And we have these passed on down the line. Wizards' books are called grimoires, which is where we got our word grammar from. 
And textbooks used to be called grammars. So it's a it's a whole continuum, a succession there. I've written a few myself. We're, we tend to do that, us wizards. We write books. All right. Please stand by, Oberon. You and I have to take our first break. And Exonation, our guest this hour is Oberon Zell. And if you'd like to find out more about Oberon, here's two websites, www.oberonzell.com. That's O-B-E-R-O-N-Z-E-L-L dot C-O-M. And www.grayschool.com. That's G-R-E-Y-S-C-H-O-O-L.com. And we'll both be back on the other side of this commercial break as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Crystal Beach, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. everyone. Oberon Zell is our special guest. OberonZell.com and GraySchool.com. And tell us about Gray School of Wizardry, Oberon. Sure, I'd be delighted to. You know, um, for a, a long time I've been involved in education. I, mm-hmm. I have a teacher certificate long ago. I've taught at all kinds of levels and stuff. And I've always been interested in uh, the whole concept of what really is necessary to have education. And in the Modern times, since education has become compulsory and public for everybody, a lot of people don't really want to go to school. You know, the kids hate it. You know, they say, oh, who, who wants to go to school? Right. You know, we don't need no education, all that kind of stuff. And I think that this is a terrible thing because once upon a time, education had a mystique. It was a, it was a big deal to be able to go to school and get an education and learn stuff. Everybody wanted to do that. Not everybody got to it. So I felt that it was important to try to create an educational system that recovered that um, uh, that mystique, that that allure. So I've been thinking about this for decades, actually, and had it in the back of my mind, but I was busy doing other stuff. And uh, with the Harry Potter phenomenon, though, <laughs> it seemed like maybe the time was right. Suddenly, everybody was really interested in the yeah. idea of a magical education. So if we take uh, a lot of the subjects that are important for education that many of which are no longer actually even taught uh, and reorganize them a little bit and give them a little bit of um, a mystique about them. And as well as uh, blending in the wisdom of the ages in magical lore and things like alchemy and astrology Mm -hmm. and divination and healing and many other subjects, really 
we've got uh, 16 departments, all color-coded with their magical associations. And um, it, it does include psychic, uh, psychic work and dark arts and all kinds of things that are a lot of fun. And we put this together, and it has become enormously popular, and uh, I'm really very pleased with it. We've got a phenomenal faculty of a couple dozen really excellent teachers, and we have, we're mostly online, um, so people can be uh, join the school from anywhere in the world, and they do. But we also have a physical facility in Whitehall, New York. We have a, a big old manor house and some property up there, so we were able to have physical classes. We have conclaves, which are kind of weekend or week-long campouts with special hands-on stuff. And we're looking towards uh, uh, acquiring a castle in the foreseeable future that also happens to be in Whitehall, a real fabulous castle. So, wow. you know, this has been going on. Let's see, the school was founded in 2004, and we opened our virtual doors uh, the 1st of August on the Festival of Lunasad, and we have been doing really well ever since. We have over 500 classes right now and uh, a number of graduates. It's an apprentice program of seven levels, and when you complete those and your practicum, then you uh, get certified as a journeyman, and you uh, take it to the next level. The job of an apprentice is to learn, and the job of a journeyman is to go out into the world and take what you learn out in service to others. And then the next stage, the third stage, is the master who is the teacher. And so if you're out there doing stuff and people like it, they're going to say, hey, I want to, I want you to teach me something. And then you kind of move on to the next level. And this is the foundation of the guild system right. and the educational system and all kinds of stuff. I'm very pleased with it. It's a mystery school. Well, congratulations. It sounds wonderful. Well, I'm, I'm proud of it. I'm proud of the school. I'm proud of the faculty, administration. Mm -hmm. We've got really really good people over on how how could how could being a wizard help somebody in their life today well it's a matter of wisdom and so uh this is you know wizardry and wisdom mm -hmm. kind of teaches you how to approach pretty much any situation with uh with a degree of insight and wisdom and knowledge that is um maybe specialized more it's it's as i said being a wizard is like being a professor you know stuff and your job is to practice it, to teach it, to serve. It's a profession of service. It really is a profession is what it's all about there. And, and each of our 16 departments um, has special classes in how do you use this practically in the world? How can you go out and make a living doing this stuff? For example, our Department of Beast Mastery, which is all about animal stuff. Well, when you learn the stuff we teach, you could go out and, and become anything from a, a dog whisperer to a zookeeper. And you would have a certain amount of useful information. Uh, there's a department of healing. There's a department of divination. You could go out and read tarot cards, you know. So there's there's many practical applications um, it's in all kinds of areas. What is your most popular class? Sorry? What is your most popular course? <laughs> That's interesting. The most popular course, the most popular department is dark arts, I've got to say. People just really love that. It's all mysterious and spooky stuff, and and it has to do with um, uh, two. Well, there's two major areas. There's the uh, practical defenses against the dark arts, defenses against negative stuff that's going on in your life and in the world, uh, ways to address um, 
problems, anything from, you know, addiction problems to uh, ones where you're feeling, uh, you know, bullied or, you know, uh, all kinds of stuff. And the other part of it is the creatures of the night, you know, things that go bump in the night, yeah. spooky stuff. And people just love that. So it's a very popular department. As a wizard, what is your opinion of ghosts and hauntings? Are they real? Well, you know, real is an interesting uh, term in there. Um, I believe that, again, I'm, I shouldn't be saying belief, but it seems to me that there is a reality that people are experiencing. It's like the UFO abduction thing. Something's mm -hmm. going on. People yeah. are having experiences. We may not know what they are entirely or able to define them clearly, but there is definitely something going on. So I would have to say that the hauntings and experiences have that kind of reality. There is something going on. What it is exactly um, is still open. I I don't dismiss any of the popular ideas of, of ghosts and hauntings and, and whether they're what they call gramophone ghosts that are just recordings mm -hmm. of energies or experiences that happen in a place like we would have any other kind of recording. I don't know whether some of them may be lingering spirits um, who haven't figured out where to go yet. You know, I, I don't want to dismiss anything here because I don't really know enough to yeah, do right. that. So I kind of leave it open. That in itself is the sign of a very wise man when you admit you don't <laughs> know everything about everything. So hats off to you. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> tell me about um, The Undiscovered Country, A Traveler's Guide to the Afterlife. Oh, yeah, that's one of my recent books. Um, I've been very busy in this past uh, a couple of years with Sounds the COVID like lockdown. It, yeah. I've been just writing books like crazy, and I've enjoyed the writer's retreat. The Undiscovered Country is a survey, to a great extent, of all kinds of stuff about the afterlife, everything from near-death experiences uh -huh. to um, uh, to accounts in maps and in, in drawings that I've done of the visions of the afterlife in different cultures, so whether you're talking about um, the Buddhist conception or the Norse, um, you know, uh, Ingrisol or the Sumerian or uh, Egyptian, Greek, all these different things. Each of them has chapters, including the Christian and, and Islamic and Jewish visions of afterlife. They're all there. And and you can kind of see what it goes if you. I've kind of been of the opinion that, you know, whatever you happen to believe in is probably mm -hmm. what you're going to get. Um, so, you know, good luck with that. And it, your it, mileage may vary. But the book is about that. It's a survey and in descriptions and in artwork of all the different options that are presented by different cultures and peoples and religions. You know, and I, and I just I go over the whole history of it, clear back to. You know, the caves and burials uh, with flowers and stuff like that. You know. Oberon, in your experience and in your book, is there a common thread when it comes to the different belief systems and the afterlife? There is, and I found this fascinating. There is a number of, of fundamental common threads that seem to be universal. For one thing, everybody, every culture, everywhere in the world, for all of history, has been absolutely convinced that there is a continuity of consciousness or spirit or soul or, or whatever people want to identify it right. as that goes on, that de the physical death is not the end. And this is a universal um, concept. And that alone says something. And then within these, they have their uh, common uh, characters, geography. You have 
uh, usually a guide of some sort who will take you to the other side. You will have things where people will encounter and meet uh, the people that they knew and loved in life, and they will be there waiting for them. Uh, usually there's some kind of geography that can be very descriptive, and there are common threads in that. There's often a sense of, of judgment of some sort, right. and not, not just the sense of the final you know, judgment with the throne of God kind of thing, but even right. the, the Buddhist concept has the, the, uh, the Hindu concept, has, has Yama, the god of death, holds up a mirror, and you see your whole life reflected in it, and you yourself make your own judgment of what you're going to do next. You're going to come back and reincarnate, right. or you're going to you know, somehow stay over the other side or get off the wheel entirely. But there's always some sense of that, of judgment, evaluation, there's a number of these. And I talk All right, about let's, let's the talk about more of this on the other side of this uh, news break that we have to take. Exo Nation, Oberon Zell is our special guest for this hour. His websites are OberonZell.com and GraySchool.com. I'm Rob McConnell. This is the Exo, and we'll be back after the news. Don't go away. Boys, take care of Wendy, and we're getting back to our guest this hour over on Zell. He is the uh, headmaster, I would imagine, at the Wizardry, uh, Gray School of Wizardry, and their website is www.grayschool.com, and you can find out more about Oberon at his website, oberonzell.com. When it comes to the afterlife, is there the same deity uh, that each, each religion has or are there different deities? Well, there, there are different deities, of course. Each culture and each people have their own um, pantheon mm-hmm. of deities, whatever they may be. And there's almost always a uh, a deity or deities associated with death. There's a, a lord or lady or sometimes both of them of the underworld. Um, and that's also a very common phenomenon, too, that you see that, whoever they may be, Ereshkigal in Samaria, uh, Hades and Persephone in Greece, you know, Yama in uh, Hindu tradition, and, and many others. A good part of the book is a very extensive glossary in which I give many, many, many um, information about the, the guides that are encountered in different cultures and the, the deities and spirits of the underworld and the, uh, and the trials and journeys that one may encounter going through that. They're, they're really clever. They're very interesting, actually. And I, I find the whole subject very fascinating. So I thought it would be neat to put it all in one book. And I would imagine your books are available on Amazon or, or as well as your websites? They are, yes. All of my books are available on Amazon. Just Google, just put Oberon Zell into the Amazon thing, and you'll see all my books will pop up. You've got a full-color children's book called Song of Gaia. Tell us about that. I, 
I do. I'm very pleased with this. This one is actually 20 years in the making, and it was um, uh, our our uh, my my beloved and late lamented wife, Morning Glory, and our had a our first apprentice and really our last apprentice as well, who was there at her bedside as she was dying, recording her last teachings. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. Kirsten, uh, Kirsten Johnson, and um, when she grew up. She had kids, and they were going to Waldorf school, and they came home and said, Hey, Mom, we're uh, teaching us about creation myths, and uh, we'd like to we, – but we didn't know the Gaian creation myth, and we're all you know, followers of Gaia, the Earth Mother, uh, mm-hmm. the, the living planet and all of that. So uh, after consideration, she came and spent many, many hours talking with me about that since I was the one who first – articulated the whole idea of that back in 1970. And eventually what came out of that was an amazing poem, a 26 stanza poem in the um, structure of the night before Christmas style. And it's fabulous, just fabulous. And I had the idea that this really needs to be a children's book and each stanza should have a full page color illustration. But it took a long time to get those illustrations done, and I finally was able to, to get them all done. I found a fabulous artist in India who did children's books, and I did a lot of work on them myself. And it came out this spring. And the nifty thing about it is that it's designed for 3D. If you uh, order the special 3D glasses, then the whole things pop out at you. But it looks fine just in regular vision, too. You don't have to have the 3D glasses. But it's a guy in creation myth. It takes you from... Uh, the dawn of the of, of the cosmos, really, bef- the creation of the solar system and the creation of the Earth, and it weaves myth and science together. So it's it's done in, in a mythic framework, but the information in there is very strongly, solidly scientific. And the back portion of the book is a guide for teachers and parents that explains the myth and the science behind the saga. It, it, it brings it all up to a visionary possibility of, uh, you know, spreading Mother Nature's silver seeds, uh, as, as Neil Young said. Uh, talking about children, what is the age range that you see students coming to your school? Well, we accept students as young as 11, and um, our youth students are from 11 to through 17, mm-hmm. and adult students are 18 and over. When we first opened, we kind of expected that we would be having mostly teenagers, but we were rather surprised to discover that three quarters of our initial enrollment were adults. And today, our enrollment is about um, four fifths adults and about one fifth uh, kids. But we do accept them at that age because right. it is an apprentice program. And if they're really bright kids, then they can do fine. And uh, it's a learn at your own pace, so there's no real. Uh, time frame on it. You can, people can take as long as they need or as quickly as they as they can to go through it. And and on average, nobody else was offering stuff for kids, so we felt we had to. Right. On average, how long does it take a student to go from apprentice journeyman to master? Well, the seven levels are designed to be the same uh, amount of material that you would get in a year of of regular school, so they're kind of equivalent to that. Mm-hmm. But as I say, it's not timed, so some people have gone through the whole thing in just a couple of years, and some people have been in there for 10 years and still right. working on it. So, uh, But that's, it's designed to be basically a seven-year 
uh, base program. And do you find that your students are mainly male or mainly female, or is it a 50-50 split? Well, it's very, um, I'd say it's pretty close to 50-50, maybe a little more female. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, uh, certainly our faculty is a little bit, um, I don't know, it's very balanced, really. You know, pretty close to 50-50. How many books are involved in taking the course, or is it strictly online? Well, it's online, and uh, you, you, you can pick your class that you want from the um, syllabus that's there. And each department has a listing of all the classes with a description of what they are, so you can go through it. There's a few required classes at each level, and, uh, of course, the gets, material gets more advanced the further up you go. We also have a program for magisters, so people who don't want to go through the whole apprentice program and get a certificate. They just want to access the amazing diversity of 500 classes and wow. fascinating subjects and take anything once. So we have a program for that, too. We call it a magister program. So, um, well, it's, uh, gosh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's hard to really describe it adequately, I think, because it's so amazing. We even have a virtual campus in Second Life where you can go into the Second Life with your little avatar and have, have a castle in, in stone circles and meetings and gatherings all kinds of neat stuff. There's a My goodness. You can sit around the campfire and share stories with people, that kind of stuff. What does it feel for you having had this vision, this idea that, that you've taken from a dream and brought into reality that so many people are benefiting from? Well, I'm very, uh, I'm very pleased, and I feel privileged to have lived, to be living in a time where these things are possible. You know, I mean, now we have Zoom. You know, yeah. we're doing classes and in, in things in Zoom. We're doing video classes. We have Facebook and stuff. And none of this would have been possible 10 years ago, you know, when I was thinking about this stuff or, or 50 years ago when I first started thinking about these things. So the world is catching up. And I, I'm very pleased. And I'm, and I'm very proud of everybody. I'm proud of my students. I, I still keep my hand in by teaching a few classes myself. And I'm very impressed by the work I see. And... Um, I've, I've attended quite a few of the conclaves and met many of our students and teachers firsthand, and, and they're just amazing, wonderful people, and I'm just very proud of the whole thing. It's, it's wonderful. When you go out and meet somebody for the first time, and they find out that you're, can I call you a grand wizard? You may, if you wish. All right, it's certainly that, adequate. That, that you are a grand wizard of a, um, of a, of a, Wizard school. What are, what, well, what are the comments, or the feedback you get? Well, mostly where I encounter people that with, that who have that information is when I'm invited to attend an event, a, a mm -hmm. festival, a conference, a, a something like this, right. where they actually you know, hire me. They pay my way and they bring me in to talk to people. So people are expecting that. Uh, my only concern is that I hope to live up to their expectations so they'll bring me back. Well, so far, so good. I was going to say, uh, obviously, you do because you keep on doing what you're doing. Um, yep. I do. I keep on keeping on. I've been doing this for a long time, but I'm not ready to quit yet. So, you know, still going strong. And um, when we come back from this commercial break, our final break, I'd like to ask you about uh, a book that I 
the title just grabbed me, and I have to ask you about it, and that's Goodbye, Jesus. I'm going home to mother. <laughs> right. That's my latest book, yes. Well, uh, I'd be delighted to talk about it. All right, Oberon, please uh, stand by, and congratulations to you and your staff for everything that you're doing. It's, it, sounds like, it sounds wonderful. Thank you, Ron. All right, Exo Nation, if you'd like more information about our guest, or maybe maybe you'd like to take some of his courses, maybe you'd like to become a wizard, go to www.grayschool.com. That's www.grayschool.com. And if you'd like to find out more about Oberon, visit his website at oberonzell.com. The Exo in a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction, and fiction sometimes is stranger than reality. Monday through Friday from 10 a 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, and Mutual Broadcast Network, all coming from our broadcast center and studios in Crystal Beach, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Back over on Zell is our special guest, www.oberonzell.com and www.grayschool.com. And he is the Grand Master of the Gray School of Wizardry. And um, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. Always a great pleasure talking to you. And again, congratulations on all the work that you've done to, to take your idea and turn it into reality that so many people can have the opportunity of expanding their knowledge, expanding their vision, and becoming a wizard like you. Well, thank you, Rob. And I would like to say, particularly, it's not just me. Um, my my uh, The provost of the great school, Nicholas Kingsley, is just an amazing young man. And I'm really very pleased to have him as my personal apprentice and protege to be able to carry on when I'm no longer available to do this, too. So that is part of it, is developing a uh, something that will continue to do the work, and we'll carry on with other people doing well, it. I'm, I'm very pleased to have that. Congratulations to one and all. Um, before we went to the break, I told you that one of the titles of your books just grabbed me when I saw it, and that's Goodbye, Jesus. I'm Gone Home to Mother. 
<laughs> right. I, I really, that idea of that occurred to me like, oh, 20 years ago. I was at a um, interfaith conference with a whole bunch of different folks from different, uh, different faiths, and a bunch of us were sitting together in the hot tub after the conference was over, and we were kind of talking about our path and how we led in. It turned out that most of us were pagans. And so we said, well, how did you happen to come here? How did you find that bad path? And everybody had fascinating stories. And some of the people had been Christian clergy and other involved, and they all had a story of what it was that led them away from that and to, um, and to discover uh, the goddess, really, is what it was all about. So I started collecting the stories and kind of let this languish for a time. And it kind of came around on the guitar time to put it out. So... Um, I assembled the stories. I bracketed them with some introductory and, and you know, a conclusion material and, and lots of other interesting stuff. And I think I've got together a, uh, a pretty fascinating book of people's personal journeys of discovery and transition from whatever they grew up with mm-hmm. to where they came to now. Do you think that people are looking for change because the the old religions such as Christianity, Catholicism, are not changing with the times, and people are searching, and 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 they have a they have a thirst, uh, a hunger for for more. Absolutely, I couldn't have said it better, Rob. That is exactly what it is. People, um, the what they get taught as children, simply they outgrow it. You yeah. know, it no longer serves, and the old ways that were created in the scriptures and the doctrines and the beliefs that were created thousands of years ago in some case when we didn't know anything Mm -hmm. about how the world works and the universe and the cosmos well they just don't work anymore for many people and and for those who do that's fine no problem at all i have no i'm not trying to convert anybody or tell anybody what they should believe but i think it's interesting to understand the journeys that people make when the faith that they've grown up in no longer works for them and no longer applies, then what do you do? Where do you go? And how do you find another way? So these are the stories about that, about how people have found another way. Something else um, we've gone through, or many parts of the world are still in the COVID pandemic. Uh, We've had the COVID-19, we've had the Delta variant, now there's an NU variant. when we look at the uh, when we look at COVID, in your opinion, what do you think the significance of the COVID pandemic was or is? Well, um, I'm glad you asked that. I, I look at pretty much everything from the perspective of the Gaian vision that mm-hmm. we are all part of a greater superorganism. That the entire biosphere of Earth is a single, vast living organism, and we're all we all share the same DNA, the same protoplasm, going back to the Cambrian explosion half a billion years ago. And and just as we ourselves are a single organism that began with a single fertilized cell and proliferated into trillions of cells, uh, the entire life of the earth is that way. And in that context, I see uh, plagues and pandemics and diseases and things like that as Gaia's um, immune system kind of kicking in yeah. the same way that we have. We have we have little immune systems that kick in uh, when we get sick, when we have uh, you know, any kind of illness. They go in there to try to do something about it. And that's the only way I can really understand this. But, the, but there have been plagues throughout humanity as long as back as we've been able to trace. And they've come and they've gone. Usually they run about two years. 
and then they uh, it's kind of a purging or a winnowing perhaps you know um hard to say exactly but we've been messing things up pretty royally here and i'm not too surprised that uh you know that Gaia herself would be trying to respond to humanity's messing up of everything. I mean, look at look at what we've done to the oh, world. Lord. So that's how I look at it. I I see that it is a part of the system. I, I share your thoughts. I share the way that you see it as well. Oh well, there we go. So maybe we're onto something. Um, how tell me about your sixty-year cultural renaissance cycle? Well, I have, I thank you. I'm really fascinated by that. I've um, been studying history a lot. It's it's a, it's a passion and a fascination of mine. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that every 60 years, clear back to the Italian Renaissance of the 1480s, there has been a cultural renaissance of um, innovative things that happen and transformative things and new movements and new ideas and new expressions and the world changes. And what happens at those times shapes the next uh, 60 years. Young people who come of age in these um, in their 20s then become, well, old wizards in their uh, 70s, 60s and 70s, and all in their turn to pass it on. The, I can just run through quickly the, culture, the Italian Renaissance of yeah, the 1480s, the, um, uh, the Reformation of the uh, 1540s, the um, English Renaissance of the 1600s, the Scientific Revolution of the 1660s, the Great uh, Awakening, the Great Enlightenment, of the 1720s, the uh, Age of Reason, the French and American Revolutions of the 1780s, the Transcendentalist Awakening of the 1840s, the Golden Dawn of the turn of the century, and of course the New Age Psychedelic Revolution of the 1960s, and guess where we are right now? (laughs) Um, All going going to hell in a handbasket. We are right at the threshold of the latest in the 60-year cycle, and it's already acquired a name. It's being called the Awakening, which is the kind of thing that these are often called. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be transformative. I, I was a young man in the last time around in the 1960s, and all the movements, yeah. the civil rights movement, women's movement, gay rights, um, and, and, of course, the pagan movement, you know, environmental movement, uh, free speech, sex, uh, sexual freedom, liberation, anti-war, Many, many of these things, and they shaped the era and the times to come. And we are now at the dawning of a similar one, and it'll be fun to see what happens. They were great times. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they were. They yeah. Were. But these are going to be great times, too, in the, when they come around. All you need is love. That's right. It's the most powerful magic of all. Isn't that the you truth? Know, is love. It Isn't is. Isn't that the truth? I've got about a minute left uh what do you see for the future the coming decade well i think that there's going to be a lot of transformation uh we're going to be dealing with significant environmental issues of course uh, the increasing um effects of the climate changes and global warming we're going to see increasing storms fires uh volcanoes earthquakes floods and all that kind of stuff that we're already seeing going on that's all in way, but we're also going to see some amazing innovations. I, I see that technologically, we're going to be making huge gains in artificial intelligence, uh, electric uh, cars, uh, power systems, uh, cloning, um, uh, 3D printing of, of just anything from 
body parts to toys, you know, uh, many things. I, I suspect that we may be seeing the cloning of mammoths, which will be really fun to watch. And somewhere towards the later time of this, I expect to see us beginning setting settlements on the moon and Mars. That should be exciting, preparing us for the next 60-year cycle of the night of the 2080s, which I, I am anticipating and calling the Gaia Spora, when we start reaching out and extending ourselves beyond this sphere into the wider universe. Oberon, I, I hate to do this, my friend, but our time is up for tonight. Listen, you have an open invitation to come here anytime and, and share your wisdom with us. <laughs> So from us well, thank you, Rob. over it's been here, a pleasure. thank you very much. And once again, congratulations to you and all those within your school for the great work that they're doing and giving people the opportunity to expand themselves through wizardry. Well, thank you. Let me throw you the motto of the school. It's everything is alive and everything is interconnected. Oh, Oberon, take care of yourself. Merry meet. All right. Merry me. Bye-bye. All right, XO Nation. If you'd like to get more information about our guest this hour, visit www.obronzell.com and www.grayschool.com. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as we wrap up this hour, this show, here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Crystal Beach, Ontario, Canada. I'm Rob McConnell. Don't go away.